jump uh, into our teaching this morning. And we're in this series called Before I Go. Last week, uh, Laurel Bunker was here. You know, I, sometimes I get asked, like, what's the um, most difficult sermon uh, you have to give? I'd say, it's the one after Laurel Bunker speaks. Oh, wow. If you were here, she brings it. At one point, I literally thought, I was sitting over here, I literally thought she might start on fire. Um, like, internally combust. Um, so I'll, I'll do my best to bring a little bit of, of fire, but I, I am no... Laurel, but we're lucky to, have, uh, lucky to have her as part of our speaking rotation. And I thought, you know, uh, she did a marvelous job of just challenging us to look at our role, and that is to make uh, disciples. But one of the things, quite honestly, that can get in the way of us, like making disciples or, or like doing things for God, is when we're riddled by uh, shame, guilt, fear, when uh, we might look internally and recognize some, some kind of ugly stuff. And it could be things we've said or decisions we've made. Um, and we recognize that, that it's hurtful, it's painful, and I'm not sure what God wants to do with that or do with me. You know, would like... There's holier people out there that God would want to use than me. I mean, maybe you're sitting here and you felt like you've made just the one mistake that, that you're, you're certain God could never forgive, God could never redeem. And maybe he could, but he wouldn't use me. And I just go, do you think that's true? I think we might say we don't think it's true, but we might act like it is. Because the, the heaviness of, of like shame and guilt can keep us um, from really feeling, recognizing, and knowing the truth. And the truth that I, I want to share with you this morning is that failure is never final with God. And the calling is the same, regardless of our shortcomings. This series we've been looking at this time period in between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And, and it's, it's this, these amazing stories of people coming face to face with the resurrected Christ. And everything's changed. And uh, there's, this, there's this man named Peter who we're going to look at today. Who, um, you know, you just wonder based on how things have played out. In, in his life and decisions he made and things he said, um, what, like where he is at in between, like in between meeting the resurrected Christ and this ascension. And, you know, for some backstory, Peter, I've always loved Peter. He's, he's a bit, it, probably because I can relate to him. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of vocal bit of a loud mouth. Uh, probably true about me a little bit. Um, at times, he's overconfident. Um, and yet he has a real heart to want to follow Jesus. But um, he gets things wrong. He messes up. And, and there's this moment before Jesus, is, Jesus dies where he's just like, hey, I want you to know Jesus. Like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I'll never abandon you. Like, I'm never going to let you down. He essentially makes a promise to Jesus that, 
you know, the worst, could, the worst things could come at us, and I'm going to be there right next to you. I'll be standing there, I have your back, and you can rely on me. And Jesus basically says, I appreciate that, Peter, but um, when things get tricky here, you're going to deny me. You're not going to do that. You're going to fall short. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to have three opportunities to really live out what you're saying here, that you got my back, that you'll die, you'll die for me and with me. You're going to get three opportunities, and every single time, you're going to come up short. And Peter, like, can't believe it. And there's a bit of this overconfidence. And the reality is, Jesus is arrested. And, and give Peter credit because he's following from afar and wants to see what's happening. But he finds himself um, by a fire. And people recognize him. And they ask him, like, aren't you one of the disciples? Like, aren't you one of these guys who was following Jesus? And he's confronted three times. And what Jesus said would happen, happens. Peter's like, no, Nope, I'm not. I don't know him. He gets quite angry about it. And we see the thing that Peter professed that he wouldn't do, he did. And it's a, it's a betrayal. It's a painful betrayal in this relationship that he has with Jesus. And Peter runs and, he, and he's, he's, he's sobbing and probably thoughts of, how could I have done this? Um, thoughts like, I've, I've failed. You know, Jesus probably was not going to want to have anything to do with me. I mean, look at the pain I've, I've caused. Uh, maybe I'm not as strong as I thought. Uh, what a mess I've made. And uh, he goes back to fishing. And, you know, I, I want to tell a story about fishing. It's fishing opener, so the timing seems right. Peter goes back to, to the Sea of Galilee, and this is the spot where Jesus had called him. Jesus, uh, Peter, rather, was, was fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus walks by. This is three years early and says, hey, come follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. It was this moment that uh, Jesus called Peter to follow him. To say, follow me, and, and I wanna sh- I'm going to use you. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, you're going to be a part of the mission that I'm on, and, and you're going to play a role in this, and, and there is meaningful, impactful work that I have for you, and I want to use you, Peter. Three years later, Peter finds himself back on the Sea of Galilee fishing, doing what he once did, and yet everything's changed because of his betrayal. And he's probably wondering what's next. He's probably wondering, you know, boy, when I come face to face with Jesus, what am I going to say? What's he going to say? And so he's fishing, and, uh, you know, you would, uh, fishermen at this time, they fished overnight, and so they go out fishing overnight, and then the morning comes, and I'll, I'll read for you the text. Uh, it says this, afterward, Jesus appeared again, afterward, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. So this is after his appearance to the disciples, and that story, if you're familiar with it, with Thomas, who just doubted the resurrection of Jesus. He's like, I got to see him, I got to feel him, I got to touch him, I've got to see the marks. And that's what happens. <laughs> but 
it moves to this story. It says, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It's almost like it's come full circle. Here's the spot where Jesus called Peter three years ago, and now they're, they're back there. But everything's changed because of Peter's denial. It says, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were, were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Let me just pause there for a second. So here's Peter back at the Sea of Galilee. He goes, Let's, I'm going to go fishing. Which maybe for him, it was just about like a therapeutic, like, I just need to get out, need to get out on the water, look up at the stars, sort of just think about what's happened this last week. I mean, if you think about what the disciples have been through this last week, at, you know, at the beginning of the week, they're riding into Jerusalem and people are like practically praising them, worshiping them. And then uh, fast forward a few days and they're being hunted. Jesus is being hunted. Uh, their Messiah is killed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them resurrected. I mean, it has been a, I would think, emotionally draining, powerful, crazy week. And so maybe Peter's just like, I need to get out on a boat and just sort of reflect and sit with what's happened, but also sit with what I've done. And um, they don't catch anything. And in the morning, uh, this man says from the shore, you know, have you caught anything? And they go, no. He goes, throw your net over. And then they pull in all this fish. And here again, coming full circle, Jesus had done this miracle before. And he does it again. And they knew right away, it's Jesus. And as easy as it is to be hard on Peter, or maybe even look at Peter and go, oh, wow, how could he do this? How could he mess up like this? How could he betray Jesus, you know? Um, we're all fully capable of, 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 of doing what Peter did. That's the reality. But to, we need to give Peter credit for how he responds here. Peter's never been afraid to get out of the boat. Have you notice that? He's never been afraid, whether it's out in the middle of the lake or closer to shore, he's never afraid to get out of the boat to get to Jesus. And here again, Peter, despite the shame and the heaviness and the, of the, and the burden that he's likely faith, like feeling about what he's done to Jesus, he, he, go, he gets out of the boat. And he goes after Christ. He goes toward Christ. Like, despite what he's done, despite maybe the worry he has of how Jesus might respond to him or the awkwardness that, 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 that like, this confrontation uh, might create, he goes, I, I need to get to Jesus. And I think that's the first lesson for us. Despite what we've done, despite our shortcomings, despite our betrayals, despite our, 
our sin. Get out of the boat of shame. Go to Jesus. Like, silence all the, 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 the emotions that keep you in the boat. Silence the voices that want to keep you in the boat. You're rotten. You're no good. He doesn't want to see you. He's done with you. Silence it and just go to Jesus. And that would be my first, my first challenge for us this morning is don't think too much, just get out of the boat. Go to Jesus. He's, he'll welcome you. And you see the text, like, if you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, and, and I'm guessing all of us can in some way under, like, do that because we understand what it's like to be betrayed. We've likely been betrayed by someone we love. And um, I don't know about you, but for me, when people hurt me, it's natural for me to want to sort of keep a distance from them. Um, even in the ugliness of my sin, sort of go like, I not only want to shut you out, but I like don't, I like, I don't wish good things for you. Like, you cause pain for me, I hope there's some pain for you. Which I know is really like evil and gross and ugly, but sometimes that is there when we're hurt. And you put yourself like, in Jesus' shoes and the betrayal, like his friends in this moment of need when he needed them the most, they, they betrayed him, they left him, they abandoned him. Uh, he had every right to be upset. He had every right as God to like punish them. And yet he's there making breakfast. And I don't think we should miss that. Like I think there's, there's something uh, powerful in this the simple act of making breakfast that says, you're welcomed here. You're welcomed at my table. And I'm still the God who will meet your needs. Despite your, your sin, despite uh, your abandonment, despite uh, you know, what you've done to me, the ways you've let me down, betrayed me, uh, you're welcome at my table. And I'm still the God who not only will welcome you, but uh, will meet your needs. And I, I think that's the second thing that I want you to know, is that when you get out of that, the boat of shame or fear or guilt or whatever's keeping you from going to Jesus, he's there welcoming you. you don't, like, I don't, we don't deserve it. Um, but God doesn't respond the same way. Jesus doesn't respond the same way that we, that we might, shutting people out, wishing, you know, not good in their life. Like the simple act of providing a meal for the disciples, for Peter, is an act meant to demonstrate the love and grace of God. And he says, you know, come, and, and he makes them breakfast and he, and he feeds them. And then when we move ahead, it says in verse uh, 15, I think, 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was asked, or Peter was hurt rather, because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. This is um, what people call the, sort of the reinstatement of Peter, the rehabilitation of Peter. Um, but there's some really amazing connections of what's happening here. First, we've come full circle at the Sea of Galilee. We've come full circle to the calling of Peter to come follow me. But now things have changed because of what's happened, because of what Peter has done. And they find themselves on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is there, and he's made a fire. And they're like, here they find themselves eating, they get done, and it's, a, it's public, like there's other men there, and Jesus has this moment. Like the moment that Peter thought was probably going to happen once he saw the resurrected Christ is, there's going to be a confrontation here. I'm going to have to talk to Jesus about what happened. You know, like in this case, we would probably like pull people aside. And this is usually the best thing to do. You got an issue, you need to, you need to, you, need to, you know, get reconciled with somebody. Uh, it would be very awkward and weird if I had an issue with someone here and I said, hey, why don't you come up on stage and let's, let's do this right here and then. It wouldn't be right. So I'd like to call up, some, no, just kidding. Um, but Jesus has this, he, he goes there publicly. There's other disciples um, and it's not by accident because he's pointing Peter to the reality that his betrayal was public. That, that, when, that Peter betrayed Jesus publicly around a fire. And here Jesus is with others, or Peter rather, with Jesus around others, and he's sitting by a fire. And then he's asked three times, do you love me? Which is not a coincidence because it was three times that Peter was asked, do you, like, aren't you uh, the disciple of Jesus? And it was three times he said no. And then he's calling him Simon, not even Peter. That new name that he had given to him, he's like, your new name will be Peter and you're going to be the rock upon uh, uh, the church that I build. But now he's calling him Simon and that must have hurt. Because in essence, it's like you didn't live up to the name that I gave you. And you go like, boy, Jesus kind of has the knife in. And there's a little bit of twisting with all of these connections. You know, he's calling him Simon. Here he's having, he's confronting him publicly. They're around a fire. He's asked three times. And you just go, ooh, like, is Jesus being a little cruel here or what? It isn't cruelness that Jesus is demonstrating. It is love. Because what he's getting at is he's getting into the the heart, the deepest part of what what has happened. So that he, he can help Peter see his love for him and his grace and his forgiveness of him. You see, the reality is repentance, repentance, uh, doesn't start, we can't repent until we, we truly see what's in our hearts and what we've done. Repentance starts when blame shifting ends. When we stop making all the excuses or the justifications of our bad behavior or blaming it on other people, like Jesus needs Peter to see the realities of his heart. 
so that, that, that Peter can respond in true repentance. And so it's not cruelty that Jesus is, is sort of painting this picture. What he's doing is he's helping Peter open his eyes fully to what he's done, but also for Peter to be able to fully repent so that he can be fully healed. And I'd say, like, you, you, you know, it's easy to justify things that we do that are, are against God. It's easy to blame others for our, our poor choices. Um, it's, easy, it's, it's, it's easy to, to sort of even just ignore it all. But if, if you want healing, which God wants for you, it's demonstrated here. He wants it for Peter. It's not until there, there is one's choice to fully open up and be honest about what's going on that uh, allows us for Jesus to get in the love and the grace to move. And so Jesus goes on to tell Peter, feed my sheep. And then he goes on and he shares a little bit about how Peter's um, going to die. And Peter's like, ooh. He goes, well, what about that guy? It's classic Peter, you know. Um, and he goes, don't mind, don't mind the others, Peter. Here's what I want. Uh, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I turn, what is it to you? You must follow me. And I... I want to pause there because here we see Jesus' invitation to Peter has not changed. Three years ago, in that same spot, he said to Peter, follow me. Fast forward now, and the invitation is still the same, despite what Peter did. That is the grace of God at work. All of us in, you know, in life are, have these moments. Like, we are Peter. We let people we love down. We let God down. We make poor uh, decisions. There's things, you know, that, are, that there's darkness that, that, uh, that exists in our life. And, and, and we wonder if God would ever forgive us or love us or use us again. But here is a story of an interaction between Jesus and one of his disciples that speaks to the very character of God. And that is that he is not finished with those who are willing to repent. If you're willing to go to him, despite your emotions, despite the shame, despite the fear, despite all the thoughts that want to keep you from going to him, if you go to him and you just lay it out, he's there welcoming you. And the invitation is, remains, come, follow me. Is it not amazing? I mean, you go, Peter's been called to be the rock like of the church. He's, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to build the church upon, upon you, Peter, and and then he messes up, and everyone must have assumed that Peter's actions thwarted the will and plan of God. 
And here's what's amazing about this text. It is nothing will thwart the plans and the will of God. Even your sin, even your bad choices, even your mess-ups. Because he, he, he receives Peter, he shows Peter love and mercy, he heals Peter, and he goes on to use Peter. And if you read the Bible, you'll see this story play out again and again and again. Broken, battered people God uses again and again and again. Well, the last thing I want to share with you is despite where you're at, despite what's going on, despite what you've done, God is not done with you. Failure is never final with God. If one is willing to go to him and repent. So I don't know what barriers are in your life. You know, as the band comes up, I was driving from Woodridge back here uh, to the church last week during one of the storms, and I was on Highway 11, and a semi had tried to get up and, and, and out to turn onto Highway 11 and completely stuck. And um, I was like, oh, you know, I can't eat. I'm so impatient. I was like, I'm going to turn around. You know, I just was so mad because it was going to be like three minutes of my life, you know, that I would never get back. Like, you know how it is. And so I was like, I, there was like this feeling like I should wait. I'm just going to wait. And I, I waited and I watched as this huge tractor came up. Two guys get out and they chain up this semi. And this tractor goes and pulls the semi out. Like the barrier was gone and the traffic flowed again. And it's this simple reminder for me that God's inviting me through repentance to remove the barriers so that the flow of grace can continue, so the will of God can continue. And he uses mess-ups and failures like me, sinners like me. And I don't always understand it, and I know I don't always deserve it, but boy, that's... What a gift that God loves us, despite our failures, despite our weaknesses. And and what a God who says, I'm not done with you. But get out of the boat, come to me. And with me, there's healing and forgiveness and mercy. And then let's move forward together. There's work to be done. I have come to break the chains of condemnation and shame. And I don't want you living condemned anymore. I need you living free for me because there's a plan for you and there's kingdom work to be done and I want you to be a part of it. That's for every single one of you. That's the invitation. The invitation hasn't changed for you despite what's been maybe going on in your life. But get up, get out, and get into his presence because he's got a meal there waiting for you. He loves you, he wants to meet your needs, and he's ready to use you. Let's stand together. Jesus, thank you for your grace, thank you for your compassion, thank you for your mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything you've given us, um, but we pause just to say thank you. And Jesus, I just pray for the courage uh, to silence the voices that keep us from your presence, from getting out of the boat, and that we would get to you, and, and in our time of need, you would meet us, welcome us, Forgive us, heal us, and use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.